Welcome back to Endurance Icons, where we sit down with the athletes that are building a legacy in the world of endurance sports. We are your hosts, Jessica and Mark Cullen, and today our guest is Winter Vanecki. So Winter is an endurance icon to us because she began competing at the age of five years old. She was the Iron Kids National Champion for 2010 and 2011. She achieved two world records before she turned 15 by running seven marathons on seven continents. She's been on the USA national ski team for six years, and she was the first winter to compete at the Winter Olympics in Beijing. Now, I'm almost running out of breath, but she did just release a new book, which we're going to get into today. So welcome, Winter. Holy smokes, what an incredible amount of accomplishments. And I have to say, she's only in her early 20s. Thanks so much. Um, I'm excited to be here. Yes, we're thrilled to have you on the show. Um, so I want to start right at the very beginning. You started your athletic journey when you were only five years old. I would love to unpack that a little bit. You ran your first 5K when you were only five years old. Do you even remember this? The one thing I remember about this race is it was freezing cold. So this was in northern Michigan, and I think it was either just uh, late fall or something like that. So it was like very cold, like not quite snow on the ground, but I remember running the last little bit of the race and my uncle actually ran back on the course after he finished to give me his hat. And then when I crossed the finish line, my dad had a blanket right there at the finish line, ready to wrap me in like a human burrito. And that's mainly what I remember from that race. And what was it about this, uh, this race that kind of made you interested in doing it? So my mom and my uncle were doing some running races and triathlons at the time. That's how I got involved in it because I saw them doing it. And my brothers and dad and I would pile into our RV and go watch them compete at all these different races. And so at one point I was just like, well, I want to try it. Like my mom's doing it. looks fun. Like she always had this like excitement and glow after races and after running. So I think that just kind of piqued my interest and anyone can do it. You know, I was always used to running around in my backyard. We had 200 acres in Northern Michigan. And so I was like, well, how hard can it be? I'm already running around the woods. You do this just on a flat road. Well, and it sounds like family is such an important part of what you have done and it got you into the sport. And I know that your father passed away when you were nine years old and you set up team winter. I'd love to hear a little bit about um, what that meant for you and the process of setting up that foundation and maybe a little bit about what the foundation does. So I originally had the idea of doing some sort of team or doing something to raise awareness um, for something. So my um, mom always instilled in us and even my dad, you know, helping others and helping out in our community when we could. And I remember one time when I was down in Florida for my first 10K race that uh, there was all these other athletes who were raising money for a platform. And so you could choose whichever platform you wanted. And so at the time I did for did it for childhood obesity. And I raised $1,100 at this event and was actually going to form Team Winter for childhood obesity. And then my dad was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of prostate cancer on his 40th birthday. So I kind of switched the focus and formed Team Winter a lot of how I actually went and formed Team Winter, I don't know because my mom did all that stuff when I was nine years old. Um, but we formed the 501c3. And then um, over the years, just, it kind of began snowballing and we began raising awareness for the blue ribbon, which is the color of prostate cancer, um, and also raising funds. So to this day, I've raised 
over half a million dollars for the cause and have had wow. team winter athletes around the world racing for prostate cancer awareness. And so that's been the main focus this whole time of team winters, um, raising money, but also especially raising awareness because the men didn't want to talk about it. So a nine-year-old girl was going to talk about it for them. I love that winter. Um, and just, I don't want to move off your foundation too quickly. Just asking, you know, for people who are listening and would love to support your foundation, what are some ways that they could get involved in and provide some support? Because half a million dollars is tremendous, but knowing you, um, like I do in terms of being super competitive, I know that you probably don't want to stop there. So how can we help you? The biggest thing is to go to teamwinter.org so they can check out there. They can also get there through my website, wintervanecki.com. Um, and like I said, just spreading awareness for the blue ribbon and um, encouraging other people to check it out because some people still aren't aware of how prevalent prostate cancer is. And I mean, it's just as common as breast cancer is, but um, a lot of people don't get checked early enough. And like my dad only lived 10 months from the time he was diagnosed, diagnosed on his 40th birthday and didn't even make it to his 41st. And that was a very rare and aggressive form, but it's still, it can happen. It's not just an old man's disease. So you had uh, you had started out with running, um, but from this you kind of moved on to triathlon after this and became kind of Iron Kids national champion for a couple of years in a row. This is all while you were balancing elementary school as well. What did kind of your training look like in this time, and how did you end up in triathlon as well? So I actually started the triathlons right around the same time as okay. the running. So um, I really love the running side of things, but then again, my mom um, and uncle were doing these triathlons, and so I decided to try one at one race. There was a kid's race with it. And so I showed up at the start line actually with my water wings on because I'd never done a <laughs> open water swim before. And I saw no other kid had their water wings on. So I immediately ripped mine off, threw them back at my mom. I was like, I'm not wearing these. <laughs> and kid, right? <laughs> the swim, uh, which was more of a run through the water at five, six years old, uh, but had a ton of fun. And so continued to do longer and longer races because there weren't many kids races in Northern Michigan or anywhere um, in Michigan, even in the Midwest. Um, and so I ended up doing a lot of adult sprint triathlons and then eventually the Olympic distance. Um, I loved racing against the adults and I thought it was fun to run past them and, and um, be competitive even at such a young age. And so um, doing kind of the both was just kind of came naturally. That's awesome. So running and then triathlon. And then next you stepped into uh, the fly freestyle elite development team. So where did you make this switch from triathlon into skiing? Or were you doing that when you were younger as well? Where did this all kind of piece together? So I spent my summers doing triathlons and uh, running races, and I would spend my winters ski racing. So I grew up ski racing at Boyne Mountain. My grandpa um, was a ski instructor. Um, and he, you know, ski instructed for his entire life. And I really got into it through him, um, and found a passion for skiing. And so I ski raced up until I was about 12, 13 years old. So I actually ski raced in Michigan. And then we moved to Oregon just after my dad passed away. And at that time I was still ski racing for MBSEF, um, at Mount Bachelor in Oregon. And the aerial skiing didn't come into the picture until, 2012. So I was actually at an event for the Women's Sports Foundation in October of 2011. And I was receiving the Annika Inspiration Award for my work with my foundation um, and my athletics. Amazing. And 
uh, at this event, they played a little video of me on stage. And so I was skiing and running and all this. And afterwards, Emily Cook, who was an Olympic aerial skier, came up to me and was like, hey, you're pretty tiny to be a ski racer. Why don't you come try my sport? So I was like, I don't even know what aerial skiing is. Like, sounds crazy. <laughs> like, I don't know how to flip. I had no acrobatic experience, but I loved messing around on our backyard trampoline and especially trying new things. And I figured, you know, I knew how to ski. So at least I had one of the parts down. Um, and so that next summer I went out to um, where I am based out of now, Park City, Utah, and tried jumping into the pool, did my first backflips and immediately fell in love with the feeling of flying through the air. So sold my downhill skis and moved out to Park City. I love this. I, I actually have a quick follow-up question on that piece. So often when you look at like gymnastics or dancing, it's in direct competition to a sport like running. Do you find that with your with the aerial skiing that running sort of flows into it and supports it instead of working against it? You would think that they wouldn't help each other at all, right? Because they seem so different. Like mm -hmm. running is that endurance um, cardiovascular sport and aerial skiing lasts a couple seconds and it's very explosive and intensive, but, um, and you have to be able to withstand the forces of landing, but it's not endurance based at all or cardio cardiovascular. Um, but I actually found that they complemented each other quite well because growing up doing the running and triathlons, it prepared my body for the impacts I would later endure, um, in aerial skiing. And I think what it really helped is the mental side of things because, doing all those endurance races taught me a lot about grit and perseverance and continuing on and pushing on even when you're in pain or you don't feel like taking that another step. And I think this translated well into having a long career in the sport of aerial skiing, because it's not all fun and games, even though we're not physically doing something that's very um, endurance based, we are doing reps after reps after reps and having to mm -hmm. climb up metal stairs all summer long for every single jump, swimming to the edge of the pool and doing that over and over again for two hours straight. Um, and so there are a lot of aspects of the running and, and endurance world that I think prepared me for skiing, for aerial skiing. So aerial skiing just blows my mind. I did watch the, the footage of you at the Beijing Olympics, but you talked a little bit about running, preparing you for impact. Just wondering when you first start this new sport, you've never done it before. Were you, how did you overcome the fear that I would imagine is, you know, this, this aerial sport. And then did you have any like significant falls or crashes as you're training throughout uh, the first couple development years? So the first part of that fear, um, I don't think we ever like, a lot of people think like, oh, you must be like fearless. You, you don't get scared. That is not the case at all. Like it is a scary sport and um, it is very intense when you're standing on the top of that hill, especially if you're doing a new trick for the first time or you're just starting out in the sport or you're hitting a new jump, you're on a new site. There's a lot of different factors that play into it. Um, but I think what's important is learning how to deal with that fear and still hop turning into that jump, even if you are scared. Um, and so obviously one big part of overcoming um, those nerves and things like that to be able to get yourself to go down the hill is just the repetition and training, doing it over and over again, doing it with less speed, doing it with more speed, doing it in bad weather conditions. And then we do that into the pool hundreds and hundreds of times before mm -hmm. we even try it on snow. And so that builds that confidence and you have that muscle memory. So all of those things are really important. And then also the mental side of things, learning to have that mental toolbox of that deep breathing, that visualization, that imagery, all of these different things so that when you do start to feel that fear set in, you can have something to fall back on and think, 
you know, I, I, I've done this a hundred times in training. You have that perfect image of the jump in your head and you take those deep breaths to just calm yourself and bring yourself back down. Um, and so I think all of those things were really important. And then, um, fortunately, um, yes, I've had quite a few crashes, um, two unfortunately ended in, um, some pretty serious injuries. So back in, um, 2017, I was training into the pool and I was doing a new trick for the first time. And I landed in the pool, just kind of in a weird position. It's kind of a fluke thing. It doesn't usually happen on water, but my fist was in front of my face. And oh. when I hit the water, the water, the impact of the water drove my fist through the right side of my face. And so it knocked me out, fractured the entire right side of my oh. face. I had to get two titanium plates put in. Um, but was able to start jumping again just three weeks later. So I'd overcome that. And this was actually right before the 2018 Winter Olympics. And so I was really gearing up to make that as my first Olympic team and had come back from that injury, started jumping in um, on snow that year. And then at the Olympic qualifiers, just weeks before the 2018 Winter Olympics, I tore my ACL in the Olympic qualifying competition. And so that put me out for that whole season and um, six months of rehab was involved in that, um, six plus months, uh, but was able to get back stronger than ever. And then built my way up over the last four years until I made my first Olympic team for 2022. So we have so many questions about your skiing. Um, I want to not move past this moment of your life, um, that we were talking about where you just discovering skiing. And so I want to just You've won this incredible award for the work that you've done at your father's foundation. You're just discovering aerial skiing, but at the same time that you're doing all this training, you set not just one, but two world records at the same time. You were the youngest person to run a marathon on seven continents, and you did it with your mom, which I think is amazing. So you want the world record for a mother-daughter duo. So what made you decide to do this? You had so many other things on your plate. Where did this idea come from? So the last race my dad ever saw me finish was the first Olympic distance triathlon I ever did. And this was a race in uh, Florida, in Disney World, actually. And I was only nine years old. I finished um, the race, beating many of the adults. But it was a race many said, you know, you're too young. You're never going to finish. Wait till you're older. But I finished that race with my dad at the finish line. And he passed away just a couple months after that race. And ever since then, I was thinking, you know, what could I do in his memory? And one day I was looking through a Guinness Book of World Records and came across the youngest person to run a marathon on all seven continents. And I immediately told my mom, I want this record for dad. I didn't think we'd actually be able to do it, but secretly and behind the scenes, my mom started planning. And um, just a couple of years later, I did my first marathon, the Eugene Marathon. And then we traveled to all seven continents together um, to accomplish this um, feat for prostate cancer awareness. Well, this is amazing. I know the first time that I heard of you, um, it was uh, our mutual friend, Simon Donato, his show Boundless, one of your races was in Kenya. Um, so you were in all these incredible places around the world. Do you have any highlights of this attempt that you, you can recall? Uh, well, <laughs> there's so many highlights. I mean, this is a, um, good plug here for my book. Cause there's so many, too many to count, but, um, you know, just meeting all the amazing people, I think was one of the most incredible things and getting the chance at such a young age to see 
how other people live. And like when we were in Kenya, I remember at one point, I think one of the most memorable things from any of the races was uh, having these two little Maasai boys run up beside me during the race and kind of run up this really steep hill that was at this one point. And they were just yelling jumbo, jumbo, which is hello in Swahili with big smiles on their faces. No parents around, just these two little kids without shoes on. Like you would think, you know, not having much that they would not be so excited and so happy, but they just had the biggest smiles on their faces and to see how happy they were, you know, just being there and saying hello was incredible. And, and I think just those two boys and all the other people I got to meet along the way um, really just made the, the whole marathon tour much more than just running the races. What a cool journey. I'm so excited to read this book and, uh, and read more about it. Um, so let's jump back to that uh, kind of this Olympic path, because um, I think this would be really cool to, to kind of give the full Olympic experience. And obviously, you've had some ups and downs on the way over the last couple of years. So maybe start us off um, in 2016, you were named to the kind of U.S. ski team. Is that kind of the first uh, like real glimpse you had of potentially going to the Olympics in 2018? Kind of uh, walk us through from the start there. Absolutely. I think as soon as I started the sport of aerial skiing, that was kind of my first big goal was to make the U.S. ski team. And I had dreamed about this before, but I always thought it was maybe going to be in downhill skiing because I had competed in that for so long. Um, and so making the U.S. ski team in 2016 um, was incredible. And um, around that same time, I got to go to Junior Worlds and got a silver medal there for the first time. And so that was like my first international competition. Um, and after that, I got to start traveling around on the World Cup tour, but that making of the U.S. ski team was kind of that first initial goal that was like a huge stepping stone on the way to the Olympics. So cool. Um, what are some of the favorite uh, places you've been able to race some of these World Cups over the last few years? Oh, favorite places. We go to some very interesting places. <laughs> We're not going to like usually all the cool places. Like we don't go to France. Most of the time, Nowadays, we don't go to like Italy and stuff. We had the Junior Worlds in Italy, um, but our World Cup tour doesn't go there. And so <laughs> we've been to places like Kazakhstan, um, Belarus, Russia, not Russia anymore, but <laughs> um, China. And then one of the, I guess, kind of cooler places we've got to go in the last couple of years, we, we started going to Finland, um, which there's some cool aspects of that because they have reindeer the santa claus village is just a couple hours away and the northern lights we get to see but it's also very dark and can be very cold so that aspect of it's not fun and that's where i actually just was for a month um and so you kind of have to bring your vitamin d and some extra lights because you only get a couple hours of sunlight um a day but i think um one of the coolest places I've ever gotten to go for the skiing was probably more like the Italy, Switzerland um, for those junior world competitions and Europa Cups. But we'll actually be going back to Switzerland this year. So we have a World Cup there um, on the on the docket for this season. Nice. And let's walk through this uh, kind of four year cycle leading up to this most recent Olympics. Obviously, there's COVID in the middle there, too. But what were some of the things in your training and mindset that you really needed to um, work on over those four years to to get you to Beijing for this year? I think the biggest thing was just building that confidence as a jumper, because when I first made the U.S. ski team, 
I got to start going on the World Cup tour and start doing World Cups, but it's a very daunting place to be as kind of a newbie coming in. And, you know, it, you really have to find your place out on the hill and, and start to believe in yourself as a jumper. And um, I think over the years, starting to place higher and higher and getting my first top 10 actually after coming back from the knee injury in 2019 um, overall, the first 10 uh, or top 10 overall after the season was a huge stepping stone. And then continuing to build on that over the next three years, um, 2021 was a big season for me headed into the Olympics because I got my first world cup win um, and my first podiums back to back to back. So like three weeks in the, in a row, I won um, an event in Moscow, Russia, and then we went to Belarus. I got a third, then we came back to Deer Valley here in the U.S., and um, I got a second place silver medal. And so that was a huge season for me um, headed into the Olympics. And those results actually really went into helping me qualify so that I was able to get one of the first two spots for the aerials woman um, for, the, for the Olympic team. Nice. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask, is it a specific event that you qualify at or is it just like a accumulation of kind of points and results that they uh, decide the team on? There's two different kind of criterias for spots. So the first two spots went to um, two female aerial skiers based on a, like a base points list. And so this was um, over kind of like a year and a half, two year period of results. And so you had to consistently be performing well. And then there were some Olympic qualifying competitions as well that directly would qualify you if you got like a podium. So like Deer Valley, um, that year I got second place also was an Olympic qualifier. Awesome. And let's hear about the actual Olympic experience itself, like both the uh, the competition and kind of the, the whole vibe of the Olympics. What was it like? It was interesting for sure because with COVID, it was very restricted. Um, <laughs> It was actually, you know, it was interesting because you have all this expectations of what the Olympics is going to be like. And with COVID, it really changed that. I mean, I couldn't have any family or friends attend. Um, so in that way, it was pretty isolating. And even before the Olympics, I couldn't see my family the month leading up to leaving because we were under such strict quarantine. Because even if we felt fine and like didn't get that sick, if we got COVID, a positive test basically would take us out of going to the Olympics. And so it was very stressful and we were in separate quarantined housing with just like our teammates that were going to Olympics with us where we would go to training and back, like literally that was it. Um, so it was a very stressful time for sure. And um, getting to actually get to the Olympics and get on top of that hill was just a huge success in itself, um, especially after um, the last two years of COVID. But even you know, having been taken out of the Olympics or the chance of going to the Olympics in 2018, that like being able to actually just stand on top of that hill for that competition jump was pretty incredible. Um, and at the end of the day, I didn't compete as well as I would have liked. I landed my jumps, but they were just a little bit off. And so I missed finals by just a couple points, which was heartbreaking. Um, but kind of reflecting back now, I think it still was an incredible experience and we did still get to go to opening and closing ceremonies which was really cool because we didn't know if we were going to do that because the rest of the time we couldn't leave the olympic village we had to stay in our bubble and basically only around our other um teammates directly in aerial skiing um and so it was an interesting experience it was isolating at times but it was still really cool to be able to have this event that brought together the entire world in a time when 
everything seems so apart and so separate, especially over 2020 and 2021. So it was incredible just to have everyone there competing, you know, to see who is the best in the world um, and to show off all this hard training that we had put in despite all the circumstances. And so getting to look back and say, you know what, I was the first winter to ever compete in the Winter Olympics <laughs> um, and got that check mark. And now it's looking forward to another four years and getting, you know, back to there and getting on that podium. Awesome. So that is where kind of your focus lies now is uh, gunning for that 2026. Is that in Milan, if I'm correct, somewhere in Italy? Yep. Yep. So that's the, the next goal. So nice. I'm still loving the sport. And I always say, as long as I'm still loving and having fun, <laughs> And I think, you know, I'm just getting to the point where I'm getting good in the sport. And so I want to be able to even take it a step higher and um, do more tricks, do harder tricks. Um, and so over the next four years, just really building up for that next Olympics. Um, when I look at you, you mentioned some injuries in the past or some setbacks. You know, you're talking about that really compelling story of like, punching yourself in the face from the water and that moment where you missed finals by just a few rounds. How, how do you come back from that? Injury is something that is very difficult for athletes. And when you have a goal like the Olympics um, and missing it by just a few marks, I think that a sign of a true athlete is how quickly you can move on. And you've, you've demonstrated how well you do that. Do you have any tricks on how you approach that and, and successful in sort of resetting your mind and moving forward? I think one thing that we all have to do is we do have to take a moment to feel all the feelings that you do have. Um, and it is painful and it hurts and it sucks and it, um, you know, is infuriating at, si at sometimes um, and it's just heartbreaking in others. But I think taking a second to feel that is okay, but um, mm -hmm. not dwelling on it too long. So give yourself the day, um, you know, give yourself a couple days if you need to, but then figure out, okay, how do we move forward? What do I need to do? I think one important thing along this whole journey for me has been having an amazing support system in my mom and my brothers and my roommate here, Mariah, who I've been friends with for almost 10 years um, and teammates with for a while. And having those people that you can confide in and talk to and um, also just bring you back to kind of like normal life, I guess, in a way. Um, so even if I have a bad competition or whatever, I could just go talk to my brothers and they don't care. They love me no matter what. Um, and so having that support system was really important, but also just setting those goals, you know, coming back from injury seems very daunting and it's a long task, but it's the same thing with any other training. You have to figure out, okay, well, what do I need to do now? So if it was like rehab, I was going to put 100% into my rehab so that I could get back to doing the things I love. And that's the thing is you have to love it because otherwise all those sacrifices and having to put in the work through those setbacks and through those injuries is going to be very challenging. But if you love it, you're going to have that much more motivation to keep going. Um, and having, you know, some other hobbies too, at the same time, like I, think of myself as having a lot more than just aerial skiing. Like I love aerial skiing. I want to be one of the best aerial skiers in the world and be known for that. But also I want to be known for other things. I want to be known as um, a kind person who helps and gives back to others and raising awareness for prostate cancer and, and sharing my story through my book with the world. And so other kids have somebody to look up to and, um, 
you know, I did school and went to the University of Utah and got my degree. So staying educated so that I can do things beyond aerial skiing when I do retire from the sport as well. And so having these other things in your life is also really important so that you don't feel like everything's riding on this one thing. Mm -hmm. And what I find fascinating about your approach, Winter, that is differentiates you, I think, especially from, I would say all athletes, but especially younger athletes, is you have such a strong why and such a strong purpose behind why you do what you do. And I'd love to know, do you, what impact do you think that plays in, you know, your passion for the sport and also your success in the sport? Well, I think it comes back to what we just talked about in that ability to overcome the difficult times. So like, it's pretty easy when you're having fun and your training's going well to, to keep doing it because it's fun and you're enjoying it. Um, but then when those hard times come and you're going through those injuries or you're having those heartbreaking moments where, you know, you're not doing as well in a competition or you're having even just a really horrible week of training, that's when that why kind of comes in. You have to take a step back and think, okay, why am I doing this? Like, what am I really doing this for? Um, you know, is it for myself? Is it to make my mom or dad proud? Is it mm -hmm. um, to just have fun? Like, what is that why? And so I think over the course of my career, even in aerial skiing, it kind of fluctuates, but I think having that bigger reason really helps you get through those tough days. Mm -hmm. And you also touched on, you know, all your incredible hobbies. And you, you mentioned that you recently graduated from the University of Utah. And I know you graduated magna cum laude, which is, you know, remarkable. You had a major in business administration and a minor in nutrition. So clearly an incredible passion and, and such incredible foresight to give yourself that future proof um, in terms of a career. But just how do you balance everything? Um, you just came back from a month of training in Finland um, you, you, I'm sure you have a whole list of hobbies that you didn't even mention. You have close relationships with your family. How do you perform to the level of excellence that you seem to perform to in all areas of your life? I think one thing for me that helps is having a routine. I'm a very detail oriented person. I like to have that routine and some of those things that, you know, I do every single day. And so, um, getting into that routine helps to be consistent. And so, for me, like if I go and have a week off, like I love the week off too, but then it like gets harder to keep up on all these other things, right? Like you get on vacation, you start to relax. And then you think of like, you know, for example, like school, you think of, oh, I have this assignment to do. Like now it's like, seems overwhelming, but for the rest of the time of year, you just get in the routine and you start doing it and, and it's easy. And that's the same thing with, I think most things is just that consistency and doing it day in and day out. So with training, I get into that routine and I'm enjoying it and I come home and, you know, work on the school or now that school's done, work on my book or um, all these other things. And so having that routine has been really important for me. And also just, um, I think, I mean, I think just sometimes just doing things you don't want to do. Like mm -hmm. if you, sometimes I'll even be going through my emails or whatever, and you'll see something that you're like, Oh, I'll come back to it. You're probably not going to come back. Just do it right then. Just get it done with. Um, it's like, you know, if you have a couple school assignments, like you can sit there and, and write out all the stuff you have to do, but eventually you're just going to have to do it. And so I think that's the thing is you just gotta, to get up, you just gotta get to the gym. You just gotta start writing that assignment, whatever it is. Um, but having that routine and having that consistency, um, helps a ton. 
So if you're a routine person, you clearly have one that's clearly defined. Can you walk us through like a, an average day in your life? So let's see. I mean, for like example, this summer, so I didn't have school luckily um, and was done with that. Um, but with training and with it being such an important um, year last year, that was like kind of the focus. Um, and even then this summer we are coming off the Olympics. So, you know, you would think it's not as important of a year, but we still have world cups. We still have world championships, um, to build up to. And so I was actually working on new trick, um, this summer and, and hitting a new jump. So I was, so I was doing triples and was one of the handful of American girls who've ever done triples on water ramps. And so that was a big goal and a big stepping stone for me to be able to move on to that, to look forward to maybe doing that in the next Olympics. And so that routine and, and getting that consistency was really important this summer. So for example, one day I would have to be up probably like, I was going to have like 6.30 for like 7.30 warmups. We'd go up to the water ramps. I'd have warmups for 30, 40 minutes. Um, then we'd get suited up water ramp for about two hours, hour and a half, two hours. And then um, some days we would have a second water ramping session after lunch. Other days we would then go to our center of excellence, um, which is kind of like our facility where we have a lot of other resources and trampolines and workout facilities and stuff. And so I would have like 30, 45 minutes of working on trampoline and bungee system. So we have this bungee where we basically are harnessed in and it allows us to do triples um, and doubles uh, in the bungee and on trampoline so that we can do even more repetitions mm -hmm. um, and learn new tricks a bit safer before we have to do them on the jumps into the pool. Um, and so we would do that and then have a workout. Most of the time wouldn't get home till four or 5 PM. Um, and then this past summer I was working on my book. So then would spend a couple hours in the evening working on that after I got some food in me um, <laughs> and then go to bed and start all over again. So you've talked about your book um, quite a bit, and I want to make sure that we we give that the time that it deserves. What made you decide to write your book now? So I always wanted to write this book for a while and actually first had this idea back when I was running the marathons and really wanted to share my story and journey with that. Um, and I actually was going to go through like a traditional publisher and stuff, but all of them said the same thing. They're like, oh, well, we want to wait till you are an Olympian, like wait till you get to Olympics, then we'll like write this book. Um, and eventually I was like, well, I don't want to wait any longer. Like, I think this is the story could impact somebody. And even if it impacts just one person, then I still want to write it. Um, and to have the, my journey documented, even for family and friends and myself, or when I get older, um, I thought was really important. And so I started to write this book, um, over what, like a year and a half ago. So before I even found out I was going to Olympics or anything like that, um, and then self-published and ended up going to the Olympics. So I was able to include that in kind of the last um, mm -hmm. section of my book. Um, but I think the biggest reason for writing this book, like I said, was just being able to share my story and, and not just the highlights, not just all the good, but also a lot of the difficult things and a lot of the challenges and setbacks that I've had to overcome in the hope that sharing my story would, you know, empower today's youth to be able to chase after their dreams and to be able to have the tools that they need to be able to, to um, do basically whatever they want to do in their life, whether that's Olympic skiing, running, art, whatever it is.
Mm. And what did you learn in the process of writing this book? It's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> even like writing the book is one thing too, but there's like so much more that even goes into the writing the book, like designing everything from like what you want your, your page breaks to be to like the cover to the font to like font size to book size. Like there is so much going into it. And then um, since I did self-publish it now, like distribution and figuring out how to get it on Amazon. And like, I actually just recorded the audible. Um, so did the whole voice for the whole book wow. for audible. And so we'll be, um, so we'll be debuting that kind of shortly here. Um, and so there's just so much that goes into it. I think it really just gave me an appreciation for every book I've ever read. <laughs> um, um, but like anything, you know, it's been a journey and it, a lot of hard work went into. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it was really cool. And like I said, I just hope that I can even impact just one person. So cool. We are so excited to, uh, to read it. Congratulations on this. Um, changing gears a little bit. So we talked a little bit about uh, university and you writing a book. So obviously deep in the, the writing side of things, but changing gears a bit, we definitely have a, an, a performance kind of based audience here. Um, what are some of the key tools that you use to um, kind of make sure that you are performing at your best athletically? I think recovery has been really important throughout all my different sports, whether it was the running and triathlons or the aerial skiing, because you can only train as hard as your body will let you. And being able to continue to, to train hard day after day is really important, but you need to be able to have that recovery side of things in order to do that. And so I've kind of done some more unconventional, some more conventional stuff to be able to help with that. So like nutrition has been really important for me. And so you know, focusing on making sure I'm eating enough, hydrating, but also getting lots of fruits and vegetables. So I've actually, you know, been working with this company called Juice Plus for years and years, and they have all plant-based nutrition and fruits and vegetables in a capsule. And so making sure I'm getting all the, the phytonutrients that I need every single day um, has been really important. And then um, also some more of the like unconventional stuff, like I've done cryotherapy, which I think really helped me after like my knee and facial fractures. Um, I have a hyperbaric chamber in my house now that I use. Um, and also just your basic more like stretching and foam rolling, things like that. Even I feel like I'm about 24 now. I turned 24 in four days here. And even in the last like year or two, I feel like I have to stretch before bed. Otherwise I start to feel like a little bit tight in the morning. Um, and so just learning how your body is adapting and, um, keeping up on and making any adjustments you do need is, is really important. Um, and then from the mental side of things, just making sure that, you know, you have the, like, kind of like that why of why you're doing it to be able to make sure that you, you know, have these other things and you, you're still staying mentally present, um, to be able to withstand the, the long hours of training is really important. You know, there's something about you being almost 24 and needing to stretch before bed that is just like, makes me feel a little bit better, but oh girl, just wait, give it like a decade. <laughs> That's why I'm doing the stretching now. So hopefully yeah. <laughs> keep up with it. No, that's amazing. Um, so we always love to ask this question. So you are our endurance icon. Who's your endurance icon? 
I think over the years, um, I've had so many influences from so many people that I don't know if there's honestly one person. I think some people in the like uh, triathlon world that really inspired me were um, like Craig Alexander and Miranda Carfrey, um, who both were Ironman um, world champions. And I was fortunate enough to get to know some of them through the different triathlons and getting to go to Ironman world championships in Hawaii for several years. And, and, you know, I actually talked to them and they're like, when they found out and we were talking about aerial skiing and the chance to go do that, they're like, go do that. Like as a skill specific sport, like, um, you know, the most of the time, the age for aerial skiing is till you're like late twenties. Um, and they're like, you can go do that and you can come back to running and triathlons and still do a whole career in that after if you want. Um, and they were just two really positive people in my life that I think um, were a big inspiration. And they were just down to earth people and so kind. And so I think, you know, having those influence of seeing you can be really great, but also be also just a really great, friendly, amazing person, too. That's amazing. And I would definitely underscore what they said. We had uh, Natasha Wodak, who is, you know, around 40 years old, and she just set the Canadian marathon record. So with endurance sports, you absolutely, I think the, the sky's the limit for you winter, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was such a privilege to be able to talk to you. Um, for anyone who wants to learn a little bit more about winter and there's a whole lot more that you can uncover, um, please check out her new book, Winter's Rise. Um, where can people find that book and where can they find you online, Winter? So you can check out the book at wintersrise.com and you can also follow my journey more on Instagram, just at wintervanecki um, and then everything also can be found through that through my personal website, wintervanecki.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Winter. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Wow. How great was that? I always learned so much from these endurance icons. If you enjoyed the podcast as well, please consider liking us across social media, subscribing to us on YouTube, or giving us a five-star rating on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you and your support so much. We wish you happy training and we'll see you back next week.